This is Cinema Degeneration. <laughs> no. Why? why? Why is that funny? Look, look. You came to me to find out how guys like Mike and Chucky and Freddie do what they do, not why. to Suzanne. If you want to know what's happening at the Dreamland Cinema, you'll have to see Popcorn. Popcorn, buy a bag. Go home in a box. Rated R. Starts Friday, February 1st at theaters everywhere. All righty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration and our single serving slasher appreciation month. We have been well doing this for a couple of weeks now, and we are covering one of my favorites here, Popcorn from 1991. Now, we are celebrating this because it falls within the, the, the parallels of the Appreciation Month guidelines. It was a movie that did not have a sequel and uh, probably never will have a sequel, unfortunately. But, you know, the time is now passed by 31 years, which is quite unfortunate, but, you know, doesn't take away from this film at all and joining me this evening is my cohort in crime from the howling at the full moon podcast dustin hubbard how the hell are you hey i'm great and thanks for having me uh, no problem i appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to do this and uh talking with me about some popcorn so did you buy a bag oh i i not only bought a bag i came back home in a box hey Remember, you got to pay. If you pay to get in, you got to pray to get out. But um, bum. Amazing taglines. Oh, great taglines and such a great cover, too. I yeah. love the the cover with the, the the like the marionette puppet face so over the skull. It's like it's so good. It's so good. And I like I found out a little bit, and you probably did too, because you watched the same Synapse uh, Blu-ray of this that I did. That they had to edit out the teardrop. Out of mm -hmm. a lot of the promotional materials for that, because they thought it was the teardrop on the mask was just too much. Like, yes, it, it suggested feeling pain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's a horror movie, man. I mean, it's like, come on, it's like there's going to be some pain involved. Yeah, it's it, that cover though. That poster is very iconic in in my mind. So it's very, it's a very eye catching. Uh, image that is hard to forget so now i gotta ask did you catch this in theaters when it came out or, or did you just catch it on home video i most definitely did 
actually catch this in theaters. I've, I've told this story before. So if anyone that is listening has heard this before, I'll apologize in advance, but it's a funny story. Actually, uh, as a child, I used to spend the weekends out at my grandparents' house, my, my dad's parents. And I would sometimes spend Fridays out at their house and I'd record a bunch of inappropriate stuff off Cinemax. And then Saturdays <laughs> I would go to, uh, my dad and stepmother's house and uh, my stepmother is a big movie fan and her and I would go and rent movies a lot at like, you know, far more, or we would go to the theater. And one of the few times, actually the only time in memory that I can remember my dad going to the theater with us was we went opening weekend to the Sunday matinee to see popcorn I don't think my dad was into it to begin with. It was a Sunday, so there was probably a football game he was missing. And uh, they hated it. (laughs) Not like it. And to this day, and my father and I even had a conversation about this literally maybe a week or two ago on the phone where he he brought this up and he name-checked this movie, he said. (laughs) <laughs> I haven't been to the fucking theaters not since you dragged me to go see that piece of shit popcorn. And I'm like, he's amazing. Like he he credits this movie as being the reason he never went back to the theater. And I'm like, you should really go back and revisit this. I'm like, this is this is one of the movies that almost kind of like, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It sort of like encompasses a lot of aspects about like why I love the genre and made me love horror. <laughs> like the I whole get that. I can get that. And, and the culture of horror films. And, you know, he's, although, you know, he's someone who also said, you know, when I, when I started producing movies, uh, I was making my first film and he said, it's going to be on sci-fi channel. And I said, uh, probably not. And he said, when you get your movie on Sci-Fi Channel, that means you know you made it. <laughs> okay, so we know what your your gauge for success is. <laughs> and you're very wrong, but um, <laughs> respect your opinion. <laughs> and we're Sci-Fi Channel on. is by the measure of success by what which all other movies and releases are measured by, right? <laughs> Apparently so. So, uh, so obviously his opinion on popcorn is um, has very little value, and I say that with love. If you're listening, Dad, but um, they they did not enjoy this movie. So, uh, but I told him I was like, it's it's to this day, it's one of my absolute favorite movies. Period, and it's one of those movies, and you know the types I'm talking about. It's one of those movies that I can look back and say I am very happy that I was able to have the opportunity to experience it in a theater on a big screen instead of on home at home on videotape. Yeah. Cause there's something to be said about seeing it on the big screen. I remember catching it at the Y and W drive in that was, uh, up near Maryville, Indiana, where I, near where I used to uh, live and where I, where I grew up. And I think I can't remember what it double bill with, but all I remembered was seeing popcorn and then it was gone the next week. It, you know, it came and went so quick. It it was a flash in the pan, so to speak. Oh yeah. It, it did not do well 
in theaters, unfortunately. I think it probably only lasted about a, a week or two in theaters before it was eventually pulled. So. Yeah, but thankfully we got people like the, the people over at Synapse who put out a very comprehensive Blu-ray on it that is just a very beautiful disc, beautiful cover art, artwork, and, you know, just beautiful cover, beautiful inserts, beautiful, beautifully, you know, uh, restored version of it, and kudos to them. I, I, I appreciate them a lot. They do well, good work over there. Same. And, and for perspective, opening weekend, this movie made $2.5 million. So, <laughs> in, in, 19, in February of 91, uh, for a final total theatrical gross of $4.2 million. So, this, this movie was uh, a flop. So Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. You know, in a, in a world where we got 12 uh, Halloween sequels, we got one popcorn movie. It just doesn't make sense to me. But then again, most things don't make sense to me. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll say this, and I'm sure we'll get into this more as as we get into the story. I don't think that this movie needs a sequel, and I don't think that a, any sequel could do it justice. There, there's no room for it. I no, don't think. As, as much as I would have liked to have seen one, I, I felt like it would have been a, a much lesser quality. I think this movie is perfect on its own. You know or what? It would perfect as a movie could be. Yeah, it would have to be. I'm going to give a really weird comparison. It'd have to be like one of those series is like Witchboard or something where, like, yeah, there's three of them, but none of them have anything to do with each other. It's just kind of like the same story or theme, just told completely differently each time. Yeah, it would just yeah have- good point. A completely different horror movie set in a theater. That's what it would probably have to be because there's there's literally no story left by the end of this movie. Like everything is resolved. Everything is is pretty cut and dried and resolved by the end of this is, movie. Yeah, everything is told. Everything you know, the, the bad guy is defeated. Everyone is happy. Things are going to be okay. <laughs> so right, right. There, there's there's nothing left to tell. I mean, of course. There's nothing left to tell until there is. So, yeah, <laughs> until somebody writes it. Exactly. There's always, like, you know, the fucking, you know, uh, redheaded stepchild, the fucking lanyard dates that no one knew existed who wants to come back and get revenge on Maggie next or something. But thank God no one told that story. So. <laughs> right, right. I feel this one does fine as a standalone. It, it's, it personally stands on its own two feet by itself. I, 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 I I have a mad amount of love for this movie. I think this is one of my two favorite uh, standalone slasher, uh, you know, serial killer movies. This and probably Dr. Giggles is the other one. They're probably neck and neck with each other. Dr. Giggles is, see, I'll say, I think Dr. Giggles is, there are things about it that make it inherently not a good movie per se. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I got you. It is never boring, and it is always entertaining. And, yeah, and much like Tom Villard in this movie, when you when you finally learn that he is the villain, because it's more of a, you know, who done it to begin with. But when you know who it is, like they're they are going full tilt with their performance. And Larry Drake in that movie, he is like giving it. 200 percent so you can't not like dr giggles if you don't like oh. a movie like that, you just i don't know you don't you don't deserve 
nice things. Yeah, <laughs> like, you just make, you just don't like fun stuff if you don't like Larry Drake as Doctor Giggles. You don't, yeah. You don't deserve. Then you don't deserve Larry Drake as Doctor Giggles. <laughs> like, no. And if you don't like Doctor Giggles, much like if you don't like popcorn, you're not the kind of person that I want to know. Exactly. So, yeah. I'm one hundred percent on point with that. Well, speaking of popcorn, uh, and Doctor Giggles and Tom Villard and Larry Drake and all that, let's let's start diving into the actual movie itself. And you know how we do things around here. We got to give the quick IMDb synopsis. <clears throat> which is as follows popcorn 1991 a master of disguise deranged serial killer begins killing off the college students who are organizing a horror movie marathon in an abandoned theater and i feel like that's a very uh, cut and dried quick summary of it there's so much more layered than that and it's so much more crazier than that but that is the imdb synopsis that they got Somebody was lazy in writing that, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it gets the basic just across. Now, I mean, I do love the way this movie opens. It's got really definite giallo kind of vibes with it, with the dream sequence. It's shot almost like an Italian horror movie. Not not, not the entire film, but just the the dream sequence itself, the way the images are are kind of, you know, uh, thrown together and... I love it for it. The dream sequences are really kind of some of my favorite parts besides the movies within a movie. And not to get off on a rant here, but this movie has one of my favorite tropes and one of my favorite kind of plot devices. Uh, One, being set in a movie theater. It's much like the movie Demons. It's set in a movie theater, but it also has movies within a movie, the movies that are playing. And we actually do get quite a bit of that footage you know, in the popcorn movie, you know, they got three different movies that they show and they show quite a bit of it. And that's part that I really enjoy about this. And, you know, I have to just interject that I have always been a sucker for horror movies whose settings are sort of novelty locations, whether it be a haunted house attraction or a movie theater or like one that I know you previously discussed on this uh, appreciation month intruder being like a grocery store. Like I've mm-hmm. always, I've always kind of had a fascination with movies that choose to take place in kind of unique settings like that because it it sets a certain vibe in place for what you're going to get. And sequences in this too also opened the movie with a specific vibe because when this movie came out, I think I was like maybe 12 or 13. And I remember some of the dream sequences and a lot of the sequences with Lanyard Gates and the Possessor film. I used to think were actually kind of upsetting feeling when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, they are very upsetting. Kind of creepy and unclean feeling. And those did kind of bother me as as a younger child. So Yeah, because the the fella I I attribute it to this, and I, I mean this with the utmost respect. I'm trying not trying to diss the actor here at all, but it has to do with Matt Falls who plays Lander Gates. He has a very upsetting appearance. He has very crazy eyes, kind of a jutting lower jaw, and he just kind of looks very odd and very... Yeah, the big nose and, like, the weird mustache they had him. Yeah, the weird mustache and the neck beard, and he's got a very unsettling look about him. The strange way that they shot him with, like, the fisheye lens, so his, his visual appearance is very distorted in some shots, too. 
Yes, yes. Some real weight to it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. This is when they sh- the more and more they show him, the more unsettling it all becomes. And, but the first real note I got here, and I'm not sure what you think about this. And we we can we've already kind of revealed who the killer is because we you know we're we're going to be ruining everything for you folks if you haven't learned here by we're on episode like 139 140 mm-hmm. by now having understood how we do things around here we do spoilers up one end and down the other so be prepared <laughs> <laughs> but i'm not sure what you think about this dustin but I, I, as much as i love d wallace i i think she's adorable she's america's sci-fi horror mom in a way but her character suzanne is the mom Old mom just doesn't take take the clues too friggin' well. I mean, she's getting you know phone calls like, "Oh, have you watched Possessor, Sarah?" You know, and shit like that on the phone, and just like, uh, Ninth Circle of Hell is reserved for." <laughs> yeah, the Ninth Circle of Hell is reserved for you. This is like, it. She's just always like, like, who is this? What do you want? Like, you should probably have a good goddamn guess who this is by now. So I, I have to interject this. I feel like, and you and I did already discussed pre-show how it was such a great thing that Synapse was able to rescue this film and bring it back to the public. And the most important aspect about that, I think, other than the actual preservation of this film, is the making of documentary that they put on there. Because this movie's production had always been kind of shrouded in a mystery as to what exactly happened. And there were a lot of dramas that occurred while making it. And there wasn't a lot of record of any of it. I feel like a lot was exposed during that documentary. But I feel like a lot might not have been exposed as well. Because like what you were saying with how Suzanne doesn't really click like when she gets that first call and it's like you have you have to know who that is (laughs) or at least like who they're pretending to be and she's very flippant about it like she's just she's still got a like a smile on her face just like ah you know and she just kind of hangs the phone up and and it's nothing to her and i feel like there are story elements that changed or morphed that and I, I'm talking out of my ass, you know what I mean? I don't I don't know facts regarding it, but I feel like there are moments where she doesn't feel like as a performer, like she is like she knows as the character what's going on. Right, and right, I, exactly. Like been a switch. And I and I can take that a step further with her character specifically, because have you ever thought about or really processed the fact that there are supernatural elements in this movie too, and they happen with Suzanne. Right, right. Yeah, I, I have some notes about that, like specifically when she comes to the theater. She goes to the theater, and the marquee letters start flying off at her. The possessor name magically appears on the marquee, uh, and I worked in a, in the theater system for fifteen years too. I have to, I have to say too, the moment when she goes into the theater and she ends up being like snatched by the hands through the screen okay mm-hmm. theater screens are not cheap they are most certainly not patchable <laughs> right right don't just fix them you know what i mean like a theater screen is thousands 
and thousands of dollars, like those types of screens. When I, my first job I ever had, my first tax-paying job I ever had was as a, as a concessionist at a, a Carasota theater in Indiana. And we had a, a union guy would come in to, he was a native American who would come in to do the, the screen cleaning once a month. His name was Broken Hand. And he he told me a lot about <laughs> theater culture and, you know, a lot of those behind the scenes things. And like, you know, I, I watched him and, you know, assisted him on a few things when he would come in and clean those screens. And it's like those are very expensive tools of the of the business. When she gets pulled through the <laughs> screen, you're not playing anything on it, period. Nope, nope. Nothing. And that's a one you're not screen. Patch, yeah, you're not patching that hole any anytime soon. And that's a that's a one screen movie movie palace. They'd be fucked. They are, they aren't having a, a a marathon. Like they're not screening anything. You'd have to get the entire thing removed and replaced. So there there's some weird elements going on in that sequence, especially like I said, the supernatural element that I think might have been at play at some point that was maybe switched up, disregarded, whatever. Maybe that was some stuff that Ormsby shot, Alan Ormsby, the original director, and then mm-hmm. came in, Mark Harrier came in and maybe shot some additional stuff and just it, it ended up in the edit. I don't know. I mean, if you look closely, you can still see, um, was her name Amy O'Neill, the original? Amy O'Neill was the one who originally played Maggie before she was replaced by Jill Solon, yeah. During the cleaning up the theater musical montage where everyone's throwing the sheets on top of Bud. If you look close, Amy O'Neill's still in some of those shots. I I, I thought it, it didn't look like Jill Solon. I just wondered if it was yeah. either Amy totally. O'Neill left in it or if it was a stand-in. I couldn't remember. Yeah, it's, they totally just didn't cut her out. <laughs> so Now, I mean, it was, what, like three weeks into filming, but when they replaced Ormsby and, and O'Neill, I think it was at least according to the. Uh, yeah, they had, the, they had they had all come to Jamaica for at least two weeks of. Uh, rehearsal and just uh, uh, I, basically and just getting to know each other and you know, charisma, you know, collaboration with each other to build relationships, you know, which does actually shine through in the film because these people do feel like actual friends. You know, there's an actual camaraderie among the characters that that feels believable, unlike in a lot of other films. Uh, yeah, so she had at least been there for the two weeks build, building up to shooting and then at least into actual production as well for another week or two at least, yeah. Because he he shot a good portion uh, extended, uh, you know, much longer than anticipated shooting notes, film within a film sequence. And I, I believe a lot of that was really going, you know, over budget and then going to the actual film aspects of the movie as well. And then, you know, a lot of that not really coming together the way they expected and Amy O'Neill just not being what they were necessarily uh, thinking was working. So they were early enough that they were able to pull the trigger and politely let her go and literally send her home like the next day. 
Yeah, <laughs> and then they promptly flew Jill Solon out and uh, had her j- jump in with the rest of the group. And considering she wasn't there for that couple of weeks, you know, of the, the getting to know you period, you know, where they were all flown into Jamaica, it's not noticeable because she feels like it very much as part of the group and as part of this whole group of friends just as much as everybody else. Yeah, she didn't. She even though she didn't have the same kind of uh, experience being there with everyone. She, but you know, she she was probably of the bunch. She was the most seasoned, so uh, she definitely, you know, probably had more of an ability to be able to go into a situ- situation like that and adapt to things. And you know, because she's a good actress. So oh, she's a great actress. Definitely one of the most underappreciated horror actresses of the 80s and 90s, in my opinion. So, oh, I mean, between this and, to be quite honest, this cutting class and uh, Stepfather, you know, those are mm-hmm. a trifecta right there. It's, I mean, I'll, I'll take it steps farther, too. I mean, I don't care what people say. Wes Craven's Chiller, When a Stranger Called Back. Phantom of the Opera. Oh, Phantom of the Opera with Robert Englund. That is so good. Jill Sholin had like a powerful run as as an actress in the genre. And in my opinion, there weren't really any bad films among them either. Any of them. I love them all. <laughs> so on some on some level, I love some of them far more than others. Right, I mean, right. Arguable that probably the best film is the stepfather because that is a masterful thriller but um i mean oh, i love stepfather it. who am i here right <laughs> yeah but i i love popcorn and i love cutting class like i those are these are two movies growing up i was obsessed with both like i love both of them the big aspect of that is, is jill Sholin. yeah she was a powerhouse and i don't think she's ever quite been given her proper due as a you know a proper scream queen not at all but anyways getting on with one thing though is uh, a character that i want to talk a little bit about is uh the character mark played by derek Radall. Mm-hmm. uh i i feel and this is just me and i have very few things that i'm going to pick on this movie for but it's a some minor quibble that i have with this but i hate his character Mark is such a douchebag. He's such a condescending, gaslighting son of a bitch that, like, I can't help but, like, dislike him. So at times I can't tell if I dislike Derek, the actor, or if I like if I dislike Mark. I, I find it very hard. He's very much a dope of a character. Uh, he seems very lunk-headed and, like, he just doesn't get it, but... I, I respect them at the same time by like he has a, a series of sequences where he's just constantly getting injured. <laughs> so yeah, so, I kind of I do kind of like that. He's constantly getting hurt. Like the part yeah. when they're going up the staircase and he falls down, and he uh, tells uh, Kelly Joe Minter who plays Cheryl, "Just be careful, don't step on my hand." And you just hear the crunch of his fingers, like getting ready uh, to go. He's, go out of the theater and they're like, Oh, but Toby said there's a, there's a fence. He's like, well, we'll climb it or something. And she's like, but there's a dog. And he's like, any dog Toby can handle Mark can handle. And she's like, but then I think she says there's a fence and he's like, we'll fly over it. (laughs) (laughs) 
he's the 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 tone of his voice is just like god shut up bitch let's just go like, <laughs> let's just go like because he, he, he's thoroughly convinced he, you know he's an alpha male type he's just like if toby can take care of any of this shit he's like i can handle it yeah and and then he totally did like get injured and like had his his ass was ripped open when they came back and you know he gets you know he's uh, yeah he's he he takes a lot of grief he's like this movie's dewey riley like he constantly <laughs> in some fashion or another and still somehow like managing to keep moving forward somehow so yeah, he keeps getting his ass handed to him but like not so much that it t- like it, it it takes him down but it doesn't take him out so to speak and you know you know what they say it's like you know doesn't matter you know how many times you get knocked down it matters how many times you get back up so he does have a redeeming arc, you know, even though he's essentially cheats on uh, he cheats on Maggie when he brings when he brings his date. I can't remember the character's name. I think it might have been Joy. But uh, but when he brings her to the movie theater and is just like, hey, two, please. And then Maggie looks up and she's like, hey, Mark, how are you doing? And then it's like, boom, the other woman steps in. It's just like, oh, you son of a bitch. Hey, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> Joy is like such the atypical like movie like like bitch mean girl that like you don't want your guy like hooking up with. Yeah, you don't. Oh, you yeah, you don't want your guy hooking up with uh, her as a rebound rebound character. No, no, she's easy too. So, right. <laughs> which we have to say like I, the part that I always thought was like really funny and unrealistic to it is the very first shot we meet Mark in when she's like walking to class outside the college and he like runs up to her and just immediately like starts like groping her and like f- like forcefully kissing her and he's like oh Maggie I want to make love to you right now or something <laughs> yeah right that's why I wrote down that he's such a douchebag he's just totally being the fucking alpha male asshole like hormones like out in public dude just chill out like but you know he he had a lot of he had a lot of horror credit around that time though too because he did a, a good handful of horror films around this period as well he was the phantom of them all so yeah that's right he was wasn't he i almost i totally forgot about that until you mentioned it that's another single-serving slasher movie right there for you. Oh God, man! We might have to do this for another another month. Well, God, I mean, every every appreciation month topic we've done, there is totally enough material to do more than one month worth of this stuff. Same as honestly, dare I say it? Like even the, the aforementioned cutting class is an amazing slasher movie that only had one installment. So. Yeah, I could I could pr- pretty much do an entire show monthly show about this topic, but oh, yeah. Yeah, I already do enough shows. I do enough monthly shows. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't need another one. Don't need another one. <laughs> but uh, I, I lo- we've got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Before we get to the the theater, though, we got to get to the backstory of how we're getting to the the, the theater when we get to uh, the, the, the college campus. Where Mr. Davis, played by Tony Roberts, uh, you know, who's a quite an accomplished actor, and he's done like hundreds of hundreds of things, and you know, he as Mr. Davis, he's just like, all right, you know, good news and bad news. He's like, you know, the 
bad news is they changed our editing space again, which I love the fact that they're always like, you know, we're a novelty item until we make our big splash. We're not going to be able to, you know, have these people take us seriously. Yeah, they're, they're like Milton from Office Space. Yeah, yeah, they're always moving his office <laughs> and stealing his fucking red stapler. They just but, don't care. Yeah, they just don't <laughs> give a shit. They're just like, we're going to put you over here now. We're going to put you in the library. No, nope, we're going to put you in the biology room. But he's like, hey, he's like, we got this idea here. We're going to do an all night horathon. And he's like, we'll raise enough money. And he's like, you know, and we'll be able to, you know, get our own editing space. And, you know, maybe, you know, he doesn't get everybody behind him at first. But when he finally says, like, hey, maybe enough, you'll be enough money left over for you all to do when you're, you know, an experimental film. So everybody gives a thumbs up. So they, they go to the theater and Tom Villard. Villard as as Toby. He's, you know, God rest his soul. Rest in peace. You know, he died way too early. He passed away just a a couple of years after this movie uh, came out. And, you know, I think one of the the most wonderful things about that special edition that was put out on Blu-ray by Synapse is hearing everybody talk about Tom and what a wonderful experience they had with them and what a nice genuine human being he was i really appreciated uh, that aspect of the special edition yeah this uh this movie is unique and that i know there were shakeups on set whether it be ormsby being removed and you know we had had you know alliance with malcolm denier or you know like even Solar, you know, had bonding with Amy O'Neill because they were roommates through the process and stuff, you know. So, but they, everyone, there was a, there was an honest camaraderie when they made this movie, and they wanted to make, I think, a good movie. You know, I think Mark Harrier said in that doc he had to kind of, you know, nudge them at some moments, but they, they were, they were doing their best to make a good movie, I think, and. Everyone had nothing but glowing things to say about Tom, and you know it's a, I don't know it's a, it's a testament to really trying to put the best foot forward to try and you know I think make something special because uh, one of the key things that makes this movie work is him and his performance, and it was a hard role for him that, you know, all those hours of makeup and those contact lenses and just the hours and hours of, you know, shooting. And he was not uh, in a good physical state. No, to, no, he wasn't to keep up, you know, and he, and they, they discussed that in the doc. He had to confide in the replacement director, Mark Harrier, that he, was having trouble keeping up because he had AIDS. And uh, that was, you know, listeners today probably don't really get the weight of something like that in 1990. But if you had AIDS, you were not insurable by any insurance company. No production company would hire you to be in a movie, period. You were not hireable. There was no such thing as a working actor who had AIDS. No, and, and that's sad for the, I mean, at the time frame that it was, or any time frame. Of so that, that, you know, and that, you know, aside from, you know, especially in 80s, 
uh, mindsets where a lot of actors or actresses had to stay in the closet as far as being gay because that would ruin their careers. This was, you know, an additional level of something similar to that where, you know, you have to keep that a secret because you're not going to work if you have AIDS. And, you know, talent, you know, artists have to work. You know what I mean? They, not yeah, they have to work to, you know, make money and pay bills, but like they have to be creative and have an outlet. And you can't do that in a situation like that in 1990. So, you know, people pulled together and, you know, they got him, they got him through it, you know? And uh, I do think that it's probably, uh, this this movie is the crown jewel of his resume. Oh yeah, I and mean, considering some of the stuff he's been in, I mean, he was in like Heartbreak Ridge, he was in Grease Two. I mean, you know, uh, God, I mean, uh, One Crazy Summer is the one that I always remembered him from because he was he, him and uh, Bobcat Goldthwait played brothers in that, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's something special about this performance. And it's, I think that for me, it's unique in that, yeah, this is a campy horror film. Yeah, it's a slasher movie. You know, it doesn't have a, a giant body count or anything. It's not super gory, but um, there is a level of villainy, you know? And the difference, I think, with Toby as a character as opposed to other people like you know i don't know these are bad examples but like madman mars or like cropsy or something you know to right give you two, right two other single serving slasher icons um and yeah you can feel sorry for cropsy because he's a you know was the victim of a situation where he ended up getting burned by accident and stuff but much, i don't think much that, like uh toby in this one exactly but i I think that there's the difference is, is that Toby is still interacting as part of the primary story and you get to know him and understand the backstory of what what was gone through before you know that it relates to him and then you find out how it relates to him. Mix that with the performance. He is a horrible person, but he went through a horrible situation. And he somehow manages to still pull out of it a very honest and very sympathetic and honestly, like, misguided and confused and sad performance that when it's I watch very it, human, you know, just, it's yeah, very realistically talking, human. It's, it's very flawed. Yeah, just talking about it, honestly, gets gets me a bit verklempt about it because i feel sorry for him because even when he's explaining what his grand scheme is which makes no sense in the end you know and maggie says that you know oh i'll recreate all this and everything will be okay and maybe my mother will be alive again and i won't be burned and maggie's like that total sense and he's like yeah it does doesn't it yeah that whole scene where he's going through his monologue is you know, it, it gets you choked up and like I, I know if it does I know it does for you and it does for me as well and and I, I challenge anybody to to find moments like that for the actual air quotes here slasher characters yeah. to, to, to find that in another movie 
yeah, like I said, you don't feel that way when you're like watching Cropsey or like watching Madman Mars or something like that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not the same thing. And I think maybe it talking about it vocally, the thing that does really set Toby apart from a lot of those is, is that you don't know he's the villain and he is actually one of your lead protagonists who you yeah. find out actually kind of the wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. I mean, when he's just, you know, just quote unquote, toby and not toby the killer he's likable he's funny he's a little awkward he's a little goofy but he's very likable that way when he is revealed i mean it's almost what two-thirds of the way through the movie we got at least a good half hour of the movie left when it's revealed that he is the killer and it's a gut punch and one weird thing too i'll, I'll point out two weird things there's the moment where he goes outside and gets locked out and has trouble getting back in and he looks like he's been to hell and back Mm-hmm. By the time it's back inside, and I've always wondered, like, like, was that a was that an act, or did he actually he who is the the bad guy did he did he actually lock himself out of the theater, <laughs> and then he had to try and get back in to continue his big master plan? I I think he did. Because you know, I, I mean, think, you know, I I think he accidentally locked himself out and it was just like oh shit i gotta get back in here because i gotta keep killing these motherfuckers and and the other thing that i want to point out is is like you said you know you don't find out you find out earlier in this movie that that he is the killer you find out a little earlier i think than you would in most movies like if you're watching a scream film you're gonna find out who the the big unmasking is in like the last maybe 10 15 minutes of the movie you find out in this maybe about like what an hour in or something. There's still like a good like like final act to go through. Oh yeah, like there's at least a good like thirty a, minutes left of this movie. Yeah, when like a third of the movie still to go. And when <laughs> he and when he is unveiled, it's not even like it's not like that big clincher moment. Like I said at the end of a screen movie, when you see the mask slowly pull off, and you're like, oh fuck, it was Mickey or whoever. You know what I mean? It's like in this, it's just like. It's just subtly they're like, yeah, it's Toby. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not even like it's a it's not even like they're trying to shock you with it. It's just like he walks out and it's like it's Toby. Yeah. It's and, not uh, like a slow reveal or a gradual reveal. It's just like bam, in your face. Guess who? This is just the nature of what what is going on. And she's like, he's like, Yeah, I'm Toby. Or what's what's you know left of him? Yeah, you know, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a powerhouse performance, and like, and goes without saying that he, uh, Villard as Toby is the MVP here. See, I'm getting a little verklempt myself here talking about, but uh, yeah, he's the MVP here, as I like to say. But, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a prime example of like you know, cinema is a very important tool because you know film film can last forever <laughs> you know so it's good that movies like this can get can get preserved and you know look good and you know that we can look back on things like this because this is you know like that the an actor like him this one of his legacies you know is this movie so yeah yeah but speaking of legacy i want to do a swerve here the second mvp of this movie <laughs> and and I don't know if you know who I'm going to mention here, but he's only in like one scene. I, I was going to say, I can imagine who you're going to say, and they would not prefer this to be considered part of their legacy. <laughs> like, 
Would you say that it's Ray Walston? I would say that it's Ray Walston. <laughs> with the character who's like 30 years later, I still can't pronounce his name. Mr. Mezzanier. Dr. Mezzanier. Dr. Mezzanier. It's spelled really weird. It's M-N-M-N-N. See, I can't even spell M-N-E-S-Y-N-E. Ms. Ms. The doctor. We'll just call him the doctor. <laughs> the doctor. Yeah, like my favorite Martian. He uh, a or great Mr. Yeah. Hand in uh, Fast Time at Ridgemont High too. You know, or like I said, Judge Bone. <laughs> <laughs> Picket fences. Picket fences. But he's uh, such a commanding presence in in that that scene that he, that he, that he's in. You know, when he brings in all the. He brings in all the, the toys and the gadgets. I call it the William Castle scene. He's essentially playing an eccentric version of William Castle, bringing in all those gimmicks. Brings in all that ballyhoo. The ballyhoo, the bullshit. Yeah. I could tell you stories. <laughs> we put the butts in the seats. But I love his, his, his bit. You know, it's very short-lived, and I'm sure it's not a movie that he was probably very proud of at the time. It was a one-day paycheck, and he was done. Yeah, I'm sure it was literally a paycheck movie, and I know that in the, in the doc they say he what didn't seem happy to be there. He was very <laughs> crotchety and not friendly. So you would was, think he would be happy to get like a, a couple of day or a week vacation to go to fucking Jamaica, if anything, you know. You know what? Like I, I think that a lot of talent accepts roles like this specifically for the ideas of getting free vacations. You know, and and at the time when this movie was done, like that, that was, you know, they they shot this thing in Jamaica, which explains why there are so many uh, black extras and so much reggae music. <laughs> and I'm here. I'm here for it. I'm a big fan of reggae. So I, 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 I love the reggae soundtrack. As a kid, it confused me why there was so much reggae in this movie, but I, I didn't mind. But um, well, now we that, know. Now we know because it was filmed in Jamaica. But like at the time, it was kind of. In 1991, it was a little confusing. Yeah, but this this was kind of an early uh, early stab at trying to maybe make look into and see if you could make somewhere like Jamaica a go to destination for Hollywood because they shot this in a a not I think very classy area in Kingston, Jamaica, where their hotel had armed guards and <laughs> the the. <laughs> The, the ward theater that they shot in was like a, a rundown cesspool that reeked of shit and piss. So yeah, and, they, oh, it was, and it was apparently filled with lots of cockroaches, lots of rats, and but it was a grand looking theater. I mean, they they dressed it up when they for, I mean, it was called the ward theater, but in the movie it was called the grand uh, the the dreamland, Land, and it was. Yep. It was a magnificent-looking theater. I'm, I mean, it, once they got it fixed up, I imagine beforehand it was probably not very, you know, yeah, magnificent. The, produc the production design sells it though, because in in the movie it looks it looks glorious. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, but the way Ray Walston's character, the Doctor, you know, he brings in uh, as you put it all the ballyhoo and the bullshit. Mm -hmm. They have a discovery of a hidden film reel, you know that. Uh, <laughs> They play. They open up, and Toby finds, and they play. It was this, and it's called the Possessor, which is a, a, also coincidentally the film that is in 
uh, Sarah slash Maggie's, you know, uh, dreams and everything. And to be quite honest, as dirty and nasty as the film kind of, you know, was, you know, and uncomfortable as it, you know, the Possessor film looked, it's the kind of movie that I'd like to watch. Like, I'd like to watch a movie called The Possessor. Yeah, I, know weird. Another, I know there's a Cronenberg movie called The Possessor. Yeah. But much different material, you know? It's like weird, experimental, like, trash is what it looks like. But it's funny, I have to pose you this question. Knowing that Toby is the villain, do you think it was just a big coincidence that that film reel was found in the Doctor's effects? Or do, oh, you, no. think, or do you think that Toby planted it? Oh, I think Toby planted it. 110% think he planted it there. That was all part of his grand scheme, especially when you get later on when Mark goes to Toby's apartment and you kind of see all the stuff that he had there and all the, the information and the clues. I definitely yeah. think he planted it there. Now, to be honest, the first time I watched this until it's revealed that Tony or Toby is the killer, I thought it was the doctor. I thought it was Ray Walston. I thought he yep. was going to end up being the, uh, the the killer in disguise and not Toby at all. And so when Toby is revealed to be the killer, I was just like, whoa, that's, that's a swerve. There are moments, too, like when Suzanne goes to the theater and she's shooting from a distance at a, at a figure coming at her. And then she ends up being pulled through the screen over on the other side. Like there are moments where it almost like plays like there is actually more than one person at work. Right, right. Which I feel like was another weird uh, editorial victim of weird rewrites, maybe. Well, and I also kind of felt like at least for, for a little bit until like, I mean, he's uh, also the first person that gets killed is uh, Mr. Davis, you know, Tony Roberts character. He, he seems to, you know, all of a sudden know a lot about this guy. Like, you know, he's sitting there watching the film like everybody else. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, yeah, he was a cult, uh, you know film guy you know they would film themselves doing acid picking each other's noses and he's like you you know follow this guy and he's like oh i bought into his rap for a while and yeah it's funny because you know, like he was he waits until after the fact to like ex expose all of this additional knowledge he already had yeah yeah so i kind <laughs> of thought of him as a, as a really good red herring yeah he waited for them to watch it and then he's like let me hit you with all this exposition <laughs> Yeah, it was just—it was an excuse to have a big exposition dump. And it's funny too, because like for someone like just as to go back to casting again, seeing someone like Tony Roberts in a movie like this, and I mean, I know this was after like good, like maybe you know seven, eight years after Amityville three D, aka oh, the, the Demon, but it's like a movie like this, like kind of feels like it—it's like t someone like Tony Roberts is slumming it. You know, again, you know, maybe he did it just to have that vacation down in Jamaica. And that's very possible because he's someone that, you know, like or maybe even Dee Wallace, too, at the time. I mean, nowadays, no disrespect to Dee, but, you know, she she's in a lot of movies of varying budget budgets and qualities nowadays. But, you know, she was like in huge stuff like The Howling and E.T. and Cujo, like big studio films, you know, the, and, the original just, critters, you know, and things like that. And, and and Tony Roberts, he was known for like Annie Hall and like all this like classy like Woody Allen. He stuff. was in like shit like Serpico, you know. Original taking of Pelham one two three. Oh, that's like, right, he was in that, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So a movie like this is very like unexpected, I guess. 
But then again, you know, this is the guy who also was like, whose last movie was the ma- remake of a uh, TV movie of Dirty Dancing. So, remake, you know, the entire world needed. We well, were all at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know I was. <laughs> nope. <laughs> world really needed a third Dirty Dancing film. Uh. But, you know, really, at, at this point in the movie, I really thought it was either something supernatural was going on or, or it was uh, good old Ray Walston as the doctor. I didn't believe it was Toby or I didn't believe it was even one of the kids at all until it, like, came out in the wash. Like, oh, shit, it is. Basically watching. Mom- yeah, watching it as a kid, I don't remember really thinking or wondering who per se was the actual villain. I just remember thinking, like. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, I remember just thinking it was, it, I, I thought it was actually Lanyard Gates, but that one of them was going to be revealed to be Lanyard Gates. And I kind of th- thought either Tony Roberts or Ray Walston was going to be one of them because they would have been, you know, quote unquote, age appropriate for that, that role. I think yeah, I remember thinking that it being Lanyard Gates seemed too obvious, but I didn't really have any idea of like who or what would have really been going on anyway. So it was just more of just like the fun of like watching it. And seeing- <laughs> right. Right. It is kind of like a, a carnival ride of a, of a film to me. Visually. It's so, so much fun. It's a fun just, film. Yeah. I just didn't really, you know, I wasn't really over pre overly preoccupied with who the identity of the killer was watching it the first time. I remember vividly just being more fascinated at, at watching what I was seeing than worrying about the specifics or reason. <laughs> I was you know, a flesh and blood killer, and you know why there's weird supernatural shit happening. Like and none of that really just made didn't affect me at all. I just didn't care. So, and I still don't. I'm I'm very forgiving of this movie. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. I, I would think I, I at the time I was more interested when I first saw this. You know, probably the first couple times I saw this, I was more interested in the movies within the movie than anything else. Because I just wanted to know, I wanted to be like, I I want to see the amazing electrified man, and I want to see Mosquito, and, you know, I want to see the stench. I want to see all these fucking movies, you know? Absolutely. Who wouldn't? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because the thing is, is, like, they're all very expertly recreated tones of those types of movies, being, like, the, the atomic age you know, type of horror films. Yeah, the big bug monster movies and things like that, yeah. Yeah, both that and The Amazing Electrified Man, I both feel like are very much subjects of the atomic era type of horror film from, like, the 50s, you know, when America was very much more concerned about things like the A-bomb. And then with The Stench, it was more of that weird, like, you know... Like, into the seventies, like weird foreign import crap, like a like a like a Godzilla knockoff, which is like terrible dubbing, <laughs> and, right? And very gaudy visual look. But and that's the one movie they didn't really show a, a lot of. Like the Mosquito film, they showed a lot of, and the Amazing Electrified Man, they showed a lot of. But like the stench didn't get a whole lot of. Yeah, I think. I think the catch with the stench is, is the fact that by the time the stench starts to play, the, the plot has kicked so much into high gear that uh, there's not really much time to donate to watching that movie. I think a lot of the things I love with the movies within a movie is the little t- touches. Like, you know, like when they come, uh, when they 
have the the mosquito playing and the mosquito the big mosquito the uh animatronic comes flying out and they come out with the big can of raid the spray i love little touches like that it just makes me laugh every time i see this yeah it's yeah it's a really really fun i I wish i could go to the theater when things like that were being done (laughs) yeah too i kind of i felt like i missed out i was born a couple decades too late i should have been born in the, the william castle era yeah, but I was uh, not around for that kind of like fun tone of uh theater going like nonsense so yeah yeah we're just we're old we're old dudes now but we're just you know we weren't quite old enough to, to come out you know <laughs> when, when that shit was uh you know big in its heyday but it's all right it's all right yeah, but uh, I I love the, the 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 kills in this movie is another aspect that I love. I love the fact that each kill is very different. It's not he's not just the killer that you know I I I I don't mind a, a slasher where the guy you know or the killer is just you know hacking people up with a machete or an axe or something like that. That's that, that doesn't bother me. But what I really lo- love is a slasher who is inventive with his kills, like you know, like the first kill you know when um. Mr. Davis gets it, you know, by getting impaled by the big animatronic mosquito. It's just like things like that. Like how many people can say they died by an animatronic mosquito in a movie? Probably just Tony Roberts. Yep. Well, and and Tom Ballard. Oh, well, yeah. And Tom <laughs> Ballard. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is probably one of my only gripes of the movie is, is the fact that like they, they actually the killer gets defeated by dying the way the very first victim did. <laughs> But again, you know, though it's such it's such a fun setup, I I forgive it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, uh, that's just great though. It, it, the the kills are great, and poor Bud. I think I I want to say probably Bud gets it the worst. Malcolm Denier, who you know also was in you know Godzilla. He was in he was more most famously played Moochie and Christine. You know and. Yeah, you know, and uh, in like a million things, like oh yeah, I mean he was Robin Hood Men in Tights for for crying out loud. He was in the Curse, you know, just a, a lot of a lot of stuff. But like poor, but you know, when he gets strapped into that uh, his you know his wheelchair because he's wheelchair bound for you know folks at home and don't know. And if you don't know, yeah, watched it. We've done ruin most of this movie before already. So you know what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> But when he gets strapped in and gets plugged into the the zap the the electric shock machine, where the second movie that's playing, the amazing electrified man, you know they're popping people in their seats, hitting them with electrical you know pulses. He's he's almost he almost gets out of it. You know he's he's reaching to unplug that thing, and if he had had about three more seconds, he would have got out. You can feel the desperation in that scene when he's trying to get out of it. It's a very intense setup, and it's it's edited and scored in such a way that it's so tense between cutting back from him trying to unplug the cable to the 
the electrical board like like systematically zapping people in the audience <laughs> and the pandemonium on the screen of what's happening in the amazing electrified man except it's it's very it's cut together very well for the tension yeah and i also think too like if first bud was sending for mr davis because he's like you know hey i can't figure out how to set this thing to automatic so i'm gonna have to bug everybody or buzz everybody uh, manually which he has a problem with at first but once he starts zapping mm-hmm. people before he gets strapped into it, he starts having himself one hell of a grand old time zapping and it's people. funny because tina's like that's fascinating bud <laughs> like, she <laughs> just, like she does not give a shit not at all oh but like when uh i think when uh davis's face rips or toby's davis right, uh, well like i guess we should clarify here Toby has a has a dark man kind of quality to him where he makes faces, you know, he does the quick change face he can put on people's faces and mimic their voices. So I love the fact that when Davis, <laughs> you know, is, you know, getting cozy up to Tina and Tina is just like, oh, you know, everybody wonders how I get all those straight A's. And even, you know, Toby as Davis raises his eyebrows, just like, oh, like, I didn't quite <laughs> realize that. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and he's and like, I, I think to... I'll enjoy this for a few moments before I, before I, you know, kill you too. Yeah, and you notice how when he speaks, sometimes when he has the the faces on like that, he his voice has the vibration to it, and he says that he can mimic their voices with electronic voice harmonics. But it's like, how does that work? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it was like, wrote in the script. It's like when people are wearing the ghost face mask, but they still speak in Roger L. Jackson's voice. You know what I mean? And then you see them, they're holding like the voice changer. And it's like, well, you weren't holding that up to your face constantly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, it's right. Like, it's not attached underneath your, your, your mask at your mouth or something, you know, because I don't understand how his electronic voice harmonics changes his voice. And, and another thing is, is it's like, you notice when he, when, he kills Leon. Leon's yeah. face is Leon's face has already been duplicated. Yeah, yeah. Like, how the hell did he do that? And, like, and he even states that in in his interview, the the actor uh, states that he he performed both sides of that. Because I, I, for years, I looked and I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, is that Toby? Like on the right, but the actor says he he did he did that. So, like, how did Toby already have his face duplicated if he hadn't killed him yet? Yeah. Man. A lot of weird, wonky, like, plot and, you know, like, story point inconsistencies that don't really add up. But, again, they're weird kind of, like, whatever things to me because I'm just so honestly, like, in love with this movie that I just don't care. It adds to this weird Same. kind of surreal level of to the to the movie that i just i don't really care <laughs> yeah it's, it's like yeah. i'm willing to forgive it for for being so goddamn entertaining and fun that i'm willing to look past the uh, those inconsistencies and just be like yeah. well it was wrote in the script you know and it's a weird movie too you might you might shoot me down on this to a degree because i know you don't like mark but i i don't really dislike anyone in the movie either like all the characters i feel like the camaraderie that they that they built while they were there ahead of time, which is, I mean, an indie film that is like, that is not something that happens. <laughs> you don't get like 
two weeks beforehand to like hang out and like live with your cast and like get to know them and you know go sightseeing and you know some foreign country to like you know character build with each other that's not that is not <laughs> independent film works because there's just never any money for that kind of shit no no do that it added such a unique level i think to the final product that it's like everyone feels very like people that i would want to be friends with (laughs) yeah for me it's everybody but mark 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 but he's playing the douchebag even i don't mind mark because he i feel like he has just sort of yeah he's an idiot and he's a moron and he thinks with his dick but at the same time, I feel like he does have kind of a weird sort of backwards lunkhead charm still somehow. I don't know how, but he does for me. So I, uh, he's, I would want to He's this movie's punching bag. He is. But quite fun, wanna, frankly, I would want to be friends with all these people, though. Like, I, I would I would love like going to class if like Maggie was in my class. Like, but is fun. Tina's like the fun whore. You know, uh, and Joni is just cute as hell, and Cheryl is just so feisty that I, yeah, I, I would want to hang out with Joni. And yeah. Leon would be fun to like make fun of people with. You know, <laughs> like everyone is fun. Like I would want to be friends with all these people. So it's kind of, kind of weird that you know I don't really. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, it's, like there's a lot of things. That are not hearing a specific person to die. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I wouldn't even say I, I want, wanted like Mark's character to die, but like you know, uh, I just didn't like him. <laughs> but everybody <laughs> else, you know, the, like really the the most unlikable character in this, and like you just said a moment again, you may shoot this down, but is the mom, Suzanne? Because to be quite honest, she could have prevented a lot of this from happening, but. She she outright lies to Maggie. Like at one point, we're jumping backwards here. Look at half an hour into the move, backwards into the movie. But like I had a note here. I'm like, like the mom is a liar, liar, McLiarson. She she totally's like, oh, you know who? <laughs> what? Liar, liar, pants on fire, pants on fire. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know because she. Uh, Maggie asked her at one point, like, oh, do you know who Elander Gates is? She's like, oh. No, no, never heard of him. Like you, you're a liar. I'm like I know you've been running from this shit for years, but like your kid is obviously in, you know, your or your niece is obviously in trouble here. I think it's she's just, just very flat. Is the thing? Yeah, she doesn't have a lot to bring to the table. I feel yeah, like it's, it's nothing. Well, it's nothing really in, in in D. Wallace's performance that I don't like. Is just the mom character in general is just like you know just lying to her kid and 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 all that and just like she could have like warned her maybe kind of i don't know prevented some of these deaths she's very much a stock plot device yeah yeah pretty much she's basically she exists basically is the reason that maggie got away that's it uh yeah yeah (laughs) okay now i gotta i gotta change gears here and talk about one thing here that makes me laugh when Davis's face rips when he's uh, when Davis slash Toby is kissing Tina and she goes all bug eyed and she starts pulling back away from it and his face is like melting into hers and stretching and pulling away and we finally get like the first look at what Toby looks like without 
without the mask on, without any of the mask on, you see his face. What a horrible and gross reveal. Like, I love that part. But, like, after that, when Mark and Maggie happen upon uh, Tina, like, up on in the scaffolding, she's done been strangled to death. She's dead. Toby is operating her like a marionette pup, puppet from behind. But I love the line that Mark has as, as they're walking away. It's like, his best moment in the whole movie. He's <laughs> like, man, he's like, like Tina needs to get on a diet or something. She looks like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a great fucking exchange. Just to just to be accentuated by the fact you see Toby stand up behind him and just like drop her by him. <laughs> yep, just blump, drop her right down to the. Uh, but okay, and this is something I know you like too, Lisa. Uh, I, I seem to remember you saying this. This movie does have. Uh, an effect in it that I know is some of your favorite type of stuff and is some mm-hmm. of mine too. You know what it is? What? The blue electricity animated electricity arcs of the eighties. I love the, uh, the electric <laughs> cloud that encompasses, uh, but when he's being fried, <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I stupidly love it. It never looked, it always looks wonky, no matter what context it's ever used in, whether it's this movie or, or a thousand others that utilized it in the 80s or 90s. But, like, yeah. Blue Electricity Arcs, 80s, 90s trope that I absolutely adore and love. Yep. No, I love it. I love I love anything where electricity flies around and, like, <laughs> travels freeform through the air. Or- yep. Or this, it's like next level shit too, because he's like totally encompassed by like this weird electric cloud. <laughs> well, it, and the way it's edited again, like you mentioned before, the editing is so interesting and great in this movie. It was jumping back and forth between you know uh, character actor Bruce Glover, Crispin Glover's dad, playing Vernon in the Amazing Electrified Man, is it's cutting between him getting encompassed by this big cloud of electricity and black and white, but then it's shooting back and forth between him and Bud, which is shot in this beautiful blue hue. It's just really great. It's it's fucking great. I love it. Mm-hmm. But this is where we get a kind of a... Uh, it's very convoluted, but we kind of start getting the backstory here. The, the big reveal that, you know, like, the mom is really the aunt. Gates is really her father. Maggie is really Sarah. It's a it's totally convoluted, but like the thing is, I'm still in with this movie 110 percent as convoluted as that whole backstory ends up being like I'm 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 still in. I'm still in 110 percent. I don't know what it is about this movie. I think I think, again, it's like you said that the fact that they were able to have these couple of weeks, you know, to get to know each other and have so much fun just, you know getting to to just to know each other and become friends for real. It it plays off on the screen. Like, like very few movies of this era did. Definitely. But uh, the big reveal, you know, we've already kind of blown our wad here before, but our big reveal that comes up, you know, it comes in kind of early. That is Toby, you know, when uh, Toby's big scene, you know, it's so fucking good when he's given the backstory, when he's telling like how, him and his mom were there at the screening of the possessor when her father, you know, killed Maggie's Maggie's slash Sarah. Cause you know, we find out Ma- Maggie's re- real name is Sarah and that she is Lanyard's, you know, uh, uh, daughter. And he was, you know, Toby and his mom were front row. Mm-hmm. 
they got caught up in the blaze. Toby, Toby's mom died, and Toby lost most of the flesh on his body. And you hear about everything he had to go through, the appliances he had to put on, the skin grafts and the operations, just to be able to go to school and have the kids be so afraid of him. It's the genesis or, or the, the makings of a madman from this little kid, you know, that just... The struggle of having to get up to put on a face to meet the faces that we meet. Oh, God, I love that line. This whole movie, if anything, if it was reduced down to just that scene alone to Tom Villard having his moment of explaining all this and having his breakdown in front of uh, Jill Sholin, if it was reduced down to just that scene of the movie, I would watch this scene over and over again. Yeah. Beautifully done. A powerful scene. And it's it's so unique in that, like I said, it, when when you find out it's Toby, it's not even like treated like a big reveal. It's just shown so nonchalantly. It's just like, this is what's up, you know? Yeah. Going forward. <laughs> oh, God. And the best exchange, I think the best line of the movie is when he's explaining all this. And she's like, Toby, you're crazy. And he's like, huh, and this just dawned on you? You know? <laughs> it's, like, I'm, I'm not doing it any justice here, folks, you know? But it's so great. He has a lot of really funny, punny lines, too. Like, I love when he's. He's got her in the, he's got Suzanne in that body cast thing with the gun pointed. And he's like, I'm so glad I cast you in this part. <laughs> <laughs> like when he's putting Maggie into the, the mechanical like dress thing to hold her up. And he's like, you thought Iron Maiden was a band. <laughs> <laughs> or when he goes to drug her to knock her out. And he's like, just say yes. <laughs> you know, he, he blows all his best one-liners in that one scene. You there's, know? there's one great moment, too, when he when he comes out into the, the packed theater and he's walking through the audience and they're like, the, someone says something about his makeup. <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, yours is a real bitch, too. <laughs> <laughs> and when he's just walking down the aisle and he's like, ooh, that's movie. I hate this movie. I hate this movie. Uh, that's great. It's great but look right there at the end he's like well we got a half an hour to midnight i still got some more time to kill so what does he do he goes and he that's when he kills leon in that split screen part they were talking about now i had this discussion with my wife because she watched it this time for my review watch with me we have both watched this movie together many times it's one of our go-to favorites especially around halloween this is one that's always in heavy rotation now i'll ask you this question to see what you think now, when he takes Leon and he throws him into the, the bathroom stall and he locks him in. Now, one, have you ever seen a bathroom that had a key lock from the outside? I haven't. <laughs> Never. But do you think Toby, since he had put everything together and had all that stuff set up in the basement and you know had probably planted the film and went through all this trouble to set all this up, do you think he set that stall up to to as a as a way to trap leon or to at least trap somebody and set it's, that key lock in so he could lock somebody in it's possible i never really thought about it truthfully but it doesn't make sense to have a key lock bathroom stall <laughs> so especially from the outside you know like i could see like having a lock if you were going to lock yourself in but like from the inside i'm like you know it makes sense but uh, not, not, not really not a key lock i've never seen that but Still, again, yeah, it sense. doesn't it doesn't doesn't hurt hurt my love of this movie at all. Mm -mm. But 
another favorite character, one we haven't mentioned quite uh, quite a bit here or quite enough, is Kelly Jo Minter as Cheryl. <laughs> I love her. One, she is the best salesman and her saleswoman in this movie. She's when she's trying to sell popcorn and 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 candy bars to the people at the concession stand and trying to sell people. You know, she's like, "Come on, man, we're broke. We got to make twenty dollars. We we're broke here, man. We got to make some money here. You want you want a large? You want two larges, don't you? You know, she's you great. Know, my favorite Kelly Jo Mentor moment is when fucking the the dude Joy ends up getting together with the bearded dudes in the lobby. And yeah, the like, bearded ah, muscle guy. I ever had a chicken mouth. She's like, you, had a, you ain't ever had a chick, to, chick in your life, you swear to God. <laughs> like, and nope. he's like, that's all I needed to know. That was the part I was going to get at. Like, that was my second, <laughs> one of my probably second or third favorite scenes. When not only does she... Th- chicken mouth, but not Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because she not only did she throw joy out on her ass, and she's like, you're messing up my hair. Like, they ain't your hair anyway. <laughs> But yeah, she hand, she hands Joy her ass and hands uh, the muscle dude, the bearded muscle dude, his ass too. But uh, this is the kind of the definitely used more of her, especially when the climax hits. Both her and Joni sort of vanish. Yeah, they're just kind of out front by the concession stand, just chillaxing. Yep. And there's another character. There's another side character here, and I didn't write down what his name was other than uh, the actor's name who played him but the landlord when mark goes to find uh he goes to find maggie because the, his his second date joy had told him like i saw you know maggie leave him with uh you know toby and they were going at it hot, hot and heavy and going to his place so he goes to his place and that's when he you know he finds out everything that's you know what I mean? That's been going on. He puts everything together because Maggie's been telling him all this stuff. Of course, he doesn't believe her until he sees it for himself. That landlord is a crazy character. I and mean, then the first thing he does, he's like, wait, you're friends with Toby? Well, maybe I ought to just kill you, too, and maybe that'll make me feel better. And I was just like, whoa, that's not a... Is that, is that Gloria Gates? Are you a, are you a director? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can do lunch. <laughs> we can do lunch. I'll get sent you my headshot. And then he's just gone, much like with Ray Walston, just one scene and he's done for. But I love the landlord. The landlord character is a fucking hoot. And, uh, yeah. He's just billed as landlord slash warden, played by Will Knickerbocker. Will Knickerbocker. Okay, that's it. I didn't write down the na- name, but yeah. What a hilarious character, though. Yeah. And, and just sadly underused. Like, I mean, you know, he, he was used as much as they, they needed him. But like he, was, he went on to be in some big stuff too. I mean, he was in the first Bad Boys movie. He was an Ace Ventura pet detective. Oh, he had really? Like Twenty One Jump Street, Miami Vice, back in the day. He was in Cape Fear. So. Oh no, kidding! Oh, now that I'm looking him up, because I, I had the IMDb brought up, I saw he was also uh, the bartender in Porky's. That might be what I recognize him from. Huh. And why he's in a Bob Clark produced film. <laughs> yep, that that would be it. That there you go. See, it makes and, sense. And to his detriment, he was in Smokey and the Bandit Part Three. So, 
<laughs> well, we'll forgive him for that. We'll forgive him <laughs> for that one. <laughs> That's the smoking and the bandit of which we do not speak. <laughs> Adam Jaws 3D. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Jaws 3D. Still not as bad as Jaws the Revenge, though. I don't know. That might be up for debate. No, uh, you're 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 correct. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one thing when we're getting down to the finale here, you know, because we're probably in the last 10 minutes of the movie. It's time for Toby to go completely off the rails and run possessor because he interrupts the final reel of the stench and he starts running the possessor while he is setting up a live stage act of the final act of possessor behind the screen and he's mimicking all the movements you know that's going on on screen and you know stabbing the mother in the in the heart and then the screen raises up it's quite the setup and i'll have to say one thing if you were in that audience not knowing what was going on and having that that horror-thon going on you would totally be getting your money's worth and and you would think that these people would be all for it 110 percent in you know just because, like, ooh, not only do we get a movie, three movies, we're going to get a live stage act. I mean, like, they had a band, and tickets were only what, like, ten bucks. They were like, you know, uh, they they were getting their money's worth. I think it was a deal. It was a very good deal. <laughs> we need to run out of theater. Hopefully, not one that's far away in Jamaica, but we need to run a theater and do something like this at some point, man. I'm telling you, minus all the actual murders going on, you know, I think it would be a fun time. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> Uh, but the, the, <laughs> I think, you know, like when Toby is on stage mimicking Lanyard Gates and of course we get the obligatory, you know, the girl is in peril screaming, he's going to kill me. This isn't a, this isn't, you know, fake, you know, this is for real. He's really going to kill me. The, the crowd just rushes the stage and are just cheering and throwing popcorn and having a grand old time. Cause exactly just like you would at any, like, haunted house horror attraction you're never going to believe when somebody's just like oh this isn't a movie and you're like oh this is just part of the act it plays off very well i was gonna kill the wench <laughs> <laughs> uh but mark interrupts things he does a very very bad as a as maggie slash sarah says at the end she's like you were like indiana jones coming down from the <laughs> ceiling you're like more like George of the Jungle, I think, is what his reply is. But I will, he, I will say, I think that sequence is another moment that's actually kind of like tension-wise edited very well, and the score is very heightened, cutting back between the the pandemonium of the audience and him getting ready to do the killings, and Mark like having to like break his way back into the theater and get down there quick to to stop everything. It's it's put together really well in post i think yeah and you know mark for all his you know you know kind of being the the movie's proverbial punching bag even though he doesn't really i don't think the outcome of what he was doing trying to slide down you know repel down that 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 wire didn't really have the effect that he was looking for but it still saved the day because it tripped the the line Causes an electrical breakdown, and then the the mosquito, you know, after impaling Davis, now impales Toby, which is, you know, kind of a weird way to take him out. But think about like, like even though he, you know, Mark kind of floundered there at the end, he still essentially saved the day. 
yeah, he yeah he ends up being the hero at the end. So, <laughs> but by everybody's surprise, I think including Maggie, you know, <laughs> the inadvertent hero. He, he he didn't know what to do, and he clearly had no concept of whether it was a smart thing to do or not when he when he decided to slide down the wires. He just said fuck it and did it. So <laughs> yeah, he and, just knew he had yeah. to get down there, and he had to get down there quick. You know what? He's lucky that the mosquito didn't like fly into Maggie or Suzanne. That was some right. uh, some strategic dumb luck, and it being its mark, it's literal dumb luck. So, yeah, yeah. But you know, it, although I will admit that it's a little weird the way they ended it, but it was just it was still sort of sad. It's one of the few times I've seen our antagonist. And one of these slashers die, and I felt a tint, like a bit of sadness for him because I just felt for Toby's character. Because yeah, because like I said, he he is legitimately a a sympathetic character. Like he he feels like someone that you were. He was one of your friends. He was he was one of the group. You know, he wasn't just like the master. It was, you know, he was he was someone that you know you cared yeah. about. I think, you know, and it, it and that's, you know, that makes it sadder. But at the end of the day, too, stuff like that gives it more weight, you know, having yes. characters you like that are relatable there. Yeah, we all love watching a movie with shitheads that you can root for when they get killed. But when you can have a movie that's full of characters that you can relate to and you care about and you actually like, then it creates the uneasy scenario of actually being impacted more by it when they're taken away from you so exactly yeah it's it's just different every once in a while it's nice to have, see a movie like this that changes up that kind of thing totally. and, that kind of thing is not something you see very often either in no slasher movies it's not a common thing having uh especially a sympathetic killer who who is uh as humanized as what toby is so, and I have to say, on a final note, I think if to- if Toby hadn't gotten uh, distracted in that final moment, looking up at Mark coming down, if he had just went about his business, he would have completed his task. He would have ended up uh, committing that final murder if he just hadn't become distracted. Imagine if he had stabbed Maggie and magically, like everyone came back to life. Yeah, that would have been that would have been an ending. Like all of a sudden, his mom's just standing there, like, "Wow, Toby, you sure look different." Yeah, and you know, thinking about it too, you know, like I said before, I don't think this is a movie that there is no sequel. Like, there just there's nothing left to tell. You know what I think that you could tell, even though we already story, you could tell the story of Lanyard Gates and his film cult as a prequel. Yeah, I guess you could do that. You could do that. I don't know how interesting of a story that would be, though, especially when you basically know how it ends. Yeah, and, exactly. When you know the the end game, but that kind you of know. the trick of prequels to me is is you already know where you're going, so <laughs> yeah. it, it adds that extra level of having to try and make things that much more interesting to try and make you really want to still watch. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, like I said, it's it, there really was nowhere to go with this movie after you know sequel wise afterwards it's one of the few that i feel like that we've done here in the last month that you know it's probably a good thing it didn't get a sequel i just wish 
I'll, I'll just leave it at, at, by saying this. I just wish this movie was shown more love, you know, than more people knew about it, more people had seen it. I think it's gained a cult status here over the last, you know, several years, especially, you know, was, uh, I think that also also is uh, contributed to by uh, attributed by uh, the Blu-ray release from Synapse really, really helps things out quite a bit you know, making it more available to the masses. I I have always loved this movie since day one, and I've always championed it and tried to, to show it to people over the years. I mean, I even rushed out the, the moment the Image Entertainment DVD came out. You know, I rushed out and grabbed that because I was like, I have to have this. <laughs> like, yes, I own this on DVD. I have that DVD. I have it on you know, VHS, I have it on Laserdisc, and I have it on Blu-ray. So that tells you what kind of a fan I am. <laughs> I need a Laserdisc, honestly. I, I have the VHS, I have the Image DVD, I have the Synapse DVD Blu-ray Steelbook. I also have a German media book with it under the title Skinner. Oh, well, then you got one up on me, man. I do not have that. I've seen that, that that release, but I have never acquired it. Which does have a few weird editing tweaks, too. It's not the 100% movie that you watched. There's a couple brief moments changed and nothing significant. One, one thing that I remember standing out, too, is, is, you know, they find the film reel in the Doctor's effects, and Toby yeah. it, and you hear that <laughs> sound effect. Yeah. That's removed. Oh, the sound effects were that's really strange. It's very weird, insignificant things. They're like uh. it's like nitpicky edits that don't really seem like they make any sense. But but I'm glad I have it because it's got a gorgeous cover, that kind of animated uh, shot of you know him and the with the burn. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen I've seen it before. I've seen well, I've seen pictures of it, but I've never actually I, laid hands on the one. I have some. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll have to show you. I'll have to send you some pictures of uh thing. I have a I have a little package collectible package two thing that has the artwork, kind of a hand drawn version of the artwork. And instead of saying popcorn, it says pen corn. And when you open it, it's actually got some popcorn enamel pens. Oh, no kidding! That's cool. So <laughs> I, definitely, I've always been obsessed with this movie. So and it same it, same. It's just grown on me over the years. One thing that I always found fascinating was I remember seeing this air on TV and then seeing it on the DVD and eventually the Blu-ray release was that TV spot where there's like a football team that just won some championship. And they're like, what are you going to do? And they're like, I'm going to see popcorn. <laughs> right, right. I've seen that trailer. <laughs> like the whole the whole team in alignment. And they're like, rated R. <laughs> I'm like, That's uh, I, I just always remembered the the that voice and the, the voice over on the trailer buy a bag come home in a box yeah. like in a, a box <laughs> <laughs> well that being said i mean we don't have much more of this movie we can talk about uh we talked about the behind the scenes the blu-ray release uh the making of the the movie itself why don't we go ahead and get right off into our final thoughts and ratings on this? 
Do you know how th- uh, we do things around here more than anybody as my most featured guest uh, co-host? Uh, guests go first, so rating on a scale from 1 to 10, have at it. Yeah, you know, I feel like at this point it's it, it'd basically be like me repeating everything I've said ad nauseum. I genuinely love everything about this movie. I love its high points. I love its faults. I love everything about it. I think they all come together to create a very heartfelt, fun, comical, creepy, fun kind of carnival ride of a slasher movie. And if you're a slasher fan, it's not going to maybe deliver what you want because it only has, you know, a very low body count of about five people. But man, and one of them includes Toby, too, by the way. Yeah, but it's like, man, those five, they count, though, (laughs) like because they're they're all they feel like they're all like on some level pretty impactful. And like I said, it's it's rare to me that there's a movie where I genuinely just love all the all the characters and stuff like that. I I would want to be friends with all these people. I would want I would want to go to film school with these people. And yeah, and you don't want to see any of them die. You know, not, not even Mark, not even Mark Roberts to be my teacher. You know, like yeah. I want to, I want to know all these people. You know, and it's just, it's a fun movie. I feel like it, it, despite all the trouble trying to make it, it, it has its heart in the right place. And like I said, it's, it's a, it's very rare when you can watch a horror movie for me that I think actually uh, has an emotional effect on me. And this movie does actually have a, a very strong emotional effect on me as far as the characters and personally. Like I said, this is a very important movie to me as a, as a person. And this movie has a lot of value to me. And it really typifies uh, the reasons why I love cinema. And I love horror. And I love scream queens. And I love monsters. And the ballyhoo and the bullshit. Like it's, <laughs> it really I see does. What you did there? I see what you did there. Nice. I just, I'm in love with it. It's it, it's an undisputed ten. Period. Like I, I like I said, I've loved it since day fucking one. I've probably seen it seventy times, and that will never be enough. I agree with everything you said, and I, I believe I would just be reiterating what we've said over the last hour and a half, two hours. But I'll, t- I'll try to sum it up uh, in a little bit. But it's about all the ballyhoo and the bullshit, as you so eloquently put it a few seconds ago. <laughs> this movie is everything that I love about film. I've, uh, I've also, I'm going to use another phrase here that you just used. I've championed this film for for so long and tried to show it to so many people. And, you know, I, it was never one of my most fondest memories of showing it to my friends in high school. Mm-hmm. Showing it to my wife a couple of years ago when we got to meet Jill Sholin at uh, Cinema Wasteland and uh, sat in on a screening of it and sitting with my wife, you know, who was probably five six years old when this movie came out so she was not you know <laughs> you know not not uh the age to watch this kind of thing and to sit and watch it with her for the first time and seeing her love it almost as much as me you know i've tried and this but, you know that that what you just said right there okay that to me that right there you can take a movie like this there's a movie like this that like for me that means this much to you as a person and you can take this movie and you can introduce someone with fresh eyes and show them this for the first time and they see it 
and they understand it and they get it and they can appreciate what you appreciate mm-hmm. same way that you do that is the power of film period yeah i i, I agree 110 percent. so it is a unifying factor for me but you know this movie is a definite 10 out of 10 if i could break the rules you know i i've done it only a couple times on this show Mm-hmm. I've done it only with a couple of films, and I'm going to break my own rules here. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, the Cinema Degeneration 11 out of 10. Oh, because same. it's it, it's off the, it's off the scales. I, I I love this unabashedly love this movie uh, for all the right reasons, for all the wrong reasons. You know, it has lovable characters, memorable performances great kills it's got tropes that i love like i said before i love anything that takes place in a movie theater that has movies within a movie it checks all the right boxes and it just reminds me of a a bygone time that you know that that you know is thankfully it was captured on film as as you so put it you know uh earlier this evening you know film can live forever yep and this kind of this kind of situation like it, watching movies like this, it was some of my fondest memories of being a working adult is was working at a movie theater. The the theater is like at the risk of sounding silly, like the theater is a magical place. Like that's a sacred place. Magic happens there for the right people at the right times. And like watching a movie like this reminds me of being a kid and going to the theater and seeing something that just like it's like you opened your eyes for the first fucking time and saw the light, you know, and that only happens every so often. But when it does, you know, that's that makes it all the more special. And you know, we live in a day and age where people don't really go to the theater anymore that much. You know, it's, it's not do. the experience that it used to be. Now yeah. everybody just streams everything at home. Yeah, or you just go and watch like fucking Marvel movies or some shit. You know, and it's like the going to the theater used to be a, an experience that people shared, and it's not so much anymore, and that's very disheartening. So seeing something like this, and you know, like it remind like it reminds me of going and seeing things like you know. I've said this before, two of the most affecting theatrical experiences to me were like being in a packed house opening night on Freddy versus Jason, like like standing room and everyone was going ape shit. Like I remember the because, an experience like that when, when I saw Child's Play 2 at a theater up in Michigan City and they had oversold the theater mm-hmm. and people were sitting on the floor. Yeah, because you know what, and you can, I'm not going to reference anything specific, but you know, horror fans sometimes don't deserve nice things. No, no, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they can. And they've proven, and they've proven that a lot recently. <laughs> but, but you know what, like, like when you can get those, those nice things, like we didn't deserve a Freddy versus Jason movie. And I'm not saying that movie's good or it's not a masterpiece but it's like man there was nothing like seeing that opening night in a packed theater with like 300 screaming people going literally ape shit at the screen or being in the theater opening night 
for H2O and seeing a proper, <laughs> in my opinion, uh, one-on-one mano-a-mano showdown between horrors top final girl going against michael myers to the death and like that final moment of her chopping his head off and just being like like gut punched like i can't like what what <laughs> like you know? what the fuck just happened totally like like what like are you kidding me like <laughs> like i don't deserve these things you know but it's <laughs> right those are experiences, you know, that like you don't you don't get that kind of experience watching shit on a TV at home. It's just not the same thing. It, the, yeah, the no magic, matter how good your home theater system might be, it's just not the same experience. Compare and this this movie is a prime example of showing the 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 experience that the, the theatrical uh, model holds. That you don't really get anywhere else. It can't be duplicated. So, whenever God forbid that that eventually goes away, it, it will be a a sad, sad, sad day for. Yeah, uh, I have a feeling in the in a couple of years in our lifetime here in the near future we're going to see that happening. But it's, I'll, I'll hold on by the skin of my teeth, hoping that it doesn't. Yeah, it's very possible. I will rue the day. <laughs> well. I think we've uh, shown the proper amount of love for this movie. We get it a 10 and a 10 or a 10 and an 11. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't often uh, break the rules and let, let people go off the scale and give negative ratings or give more rate, <coughs> you know, more uh, ratings on the scale that are not there. But I have to give it an 11 out of 10. It's it's one of my favorites and uh I just hope more people see it. I hope it continues to live on, you know, and and bless the people at, at uh, Synapse for putting out the beautiful uh, restoration that they have because that is one of my most prized possessions that I have in my collection. And yeah, I love it. Any, anyone listening to this that's not seen it, if you've gotten this far and you still haven't watched it, by God forbid, like, go find it, buy it, stream it, watch it, get your hands on it, and and experience yeah. it because it, it deserves to be experienced so exactly with that being said um we'll think we'll put a pin in this one for the evening i want to thank you for uh, joining me on another uh you know appreciation month i have no idea what the next topic will be hopefully it'll be something as epic as uh single serving slashers but uh i have about 40 50 topics uh in a little uh, saved file of mine and uh, who knows which one i'll pick at random next time but hopefully i can convince <laughs> you to come back for that one as well Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be something that I'll have something to say about. So, <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, again, thank you, Dustin, uh, for coming on to talk about something other than uh, full moon stuff. You know, for for, uh, for a change. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, folks listening at home, you have been listening to us rate and review and dissect popcorn from 1991 and showing it all the love it deserves. Tom Villard as the MVP here rest in peace sir and again thank you as always for you know listening to us wax philosophical and get a little nostalgic about these movies we love so much and if you want to help out the show please just rate review subscribe like the links that we share you know share them yourselves comment on them but please if you have a suggestion for something you might like us to cover next 
uh, send us an email, send us a text or, you know, a note and let us know what you want to hear from that, uh, hear us a review next. But as always, thank you for listening. And remember, buy a bag, go home in a box. I'm Toby, or, or nearly Toby. You'll have to forgive the sloppy craftsmanship. Actually, it takes hours every morning to prepare the perfect Toby for the world to see. In truth, I've perfected the quick transition from face to face. Of course, I have to borrow their faces to do it.